We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website as well, andyanddon.com, andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, Scott. Everybody get their taxes done? Oh, Absolutely. Nick of time. We still uh, we still got time, don't we? Oh no. <laughs> Except I, I did I screwed up though. Oh no. Yeah. Well, you I, I'm, I'm getting money back. No. <laughs> wow, and I did the opposite How of what I'm that? telling everybody they should have us. I actually paid. Oh, okay. No. Yay. Uh, we talk again. See, we did the opposite. <laughs> Jeez, that's un- that's unbelievable. Now. I don't know. Mark this moment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. Well, we'll help you with that if you need help. Okay. Andy. Thanks. <laughs> Not with advice, just spending. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Talking about will you do it? What does this mean? Will you do it? And will you do it is all about being an executor or what we often refer to as a personal representative. So, you know, a friend, a family member maybe has made an important decision Mm -hmm. and they've asked you if you'd be honored enough to be their personal representative or executor for their will. Mm. And... You know, you think about the moment uh, and it's tricky because you might kind of be on the spot and without really kind of understanding all of the issues around what does it mean to be an executor? Is this something you should stop and, 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 and think about before you do? I mean, do we realize what's involved? I know it's, and it's true. And so I think, uh, I think it's tricky because at the moment, you know, you're feeling honored and there's emotions around it and maybe it's a close relative, maybe it's a close friend and, uh, and they've decided that's you. Mm -hmm. And now you're thinking, geez, can I let, I don't want to let them down, but, but really what's involved. So, um, you know, we'll talk about maybe how to exit out of that role if you are mm. considering that or you have second thoughts, but let's start with sort of an idea or overview of what people have to do. And so those people that have already been an executor for somebody's will, whether a friend or a relative, or uh, you, you, you've probably experienced, depending on the complexity of the estate, you know, all of the amounts of work and detail that have to go into this mm. and really how much responsibility is involved yeah. in terms of making sure everything goes properly and smoothly and keeps you out of hot water and, and keeps the estate out of hot water too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first question might be, well, why me? Why did you pick me? And yeah. <laughs> so yeah. why, am, why am I so lucky? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so obviously, um, you know, you might be thinking, well, are you an expert in this? You might yeah. have some expertise or you might have some knowledge and so they perceive that as, as being important in terms of the decision, mm-hmm. um, trust, et cetera. But, you know, you're going to be responsible for distributing all of the assets of the deceased. You're going to be responsible for dealing with all their financial institutions and, and dealing with those accounts that they have there. You're going to have to deal with any creditors. Mm-hmm. If they owe any money, you're going to be dealing with probably a lawyer at some point. You would also want to review and talk to the accountant that's been doing taxes or looking after their taxes each year. You're you're going to have to speak with the insurance companies mm-hmm. that it might involve life insurance or pensions, government agencies in terms of uh, Canada Pension Plan, old age security, survivor benefits perhaps, uh, and obviously pensions as well. Do they continue on? So mm. you can see right off at the yeah. get-go, there's a lot of little pieces, moving parts to this. And and really, you're going to also oversee the probate process. And um, you know the process. The process of probate is something we'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, it's an important piece for protecting you as the personal representative or executor. Mm-hmm. So the other big part of this is that you're going to have to interact 
with all of the grieving relatives. Mm. So at a time when, when depending on the situation, you know, people are at a different state or a different period in terms of their yeah. grief, and now you're having to step in and you want to keep the ball rolling in terms mm. of processes, things that need to get done, you know, right away, things maybe that can be put off, but again, you're dealing with everybody at different stages of grief yeah. uh, throughout the process as well. So that takes an emotional toll and you have to be somebody who's comfortable in dealing with that mm-hmm. and how you're going to how you're going to react or respond to it as well. You need to be diligent in terms of the the process. You need to be honest. You have to be up up for the task and you have to have faith in your ability. Mm. Do you actually have the knowledge to do this? And in some cases, maybe the emotions or the stress might be too great for you to be effective at the job. It might be a really close friend and you just can't distance yourself enough from it to be able to stay on task or even as a family member, depending on your level of stress and grief at the time as well. So that's another whole other category that people don't think about. And so what is a personal representative? You basically are someone who's been named in a will. You are responsible for meeting all the legal and financial requirements in order to settle someone's estate. And for how long are you going to be the personal representative? Well, until all the outstanding claims against the estate are made and dealt with. And that can often happen. Sometimes people have situations where they've got court cases that are outstanding. Hmm. And I know of a client who passed away with an outstanding court case, and now the executor is having to represent in court, you know, along with the oh, lawyer wow. till this thing gets finalized. Right. So who knows how long that could take, yeah, right? Yeah. We know how the court system is working these days. And so mm-hmm. that adds a whole nother level of on- ongoing responsibility mm-hmm. for the process as well. So how difficult, how difficult is it to be uh, a personal representative? And I think really it comes down to the size and the complexity of the estate. So if I was thinking about a simple estate, you know, typically if somebody might own a car, mm-hmm. they might own a house, they have personal belongings in the house, yeah. and they probably have some modest savings or an investment account. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. in general, you know, that's something that we would say is on the simple side of things, and, and we can probably get through in, in reasonable time without too much stress. And then there's the not simple. And not simple can start with uh, multiple beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen where people have named eight different people and cousins in Europe and monies to go to different yeah. uh, parts of the, of the world as well. Uh, they might have an assortment of investments. You know, I remember uh, doing an estate plan for somebody when we started and they had 16 different financial institutions that they oh were my. dealing with. Yeah. And we were trying to consolidate that down, but you can imagine the complexity <clears throat> of that. Debts is a whole nother area, you know, uh, gathering all the information about the debts, arranging for payout of the debts and, and the creditors, et cetera. Maybe they owned a business. And yeah. owning a business. That must make it complicated. Very complicated. Yeah. Now you've got shares to deal with, share structure, who was there buy-sell agreements. There's all kinds of issues around owning the business. Then maybe the will gets challenged by somebody. So a beneficiary feels that they've been unjustly treated or unfairly, un- unfairly treated in terms of the amount. So now they're coming back to you and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and challenging the will. Let me uh, stop you there. Are there lots of options there if someone in your family decides to challenge something after you pass? Um, you, you pretty much have it listed, goes this way, this way, and this way. Uh, someone, a beneficiary, disagrees with that. It's written there. There it is. It's the will. Is, is there any contesting that? Is there any arguing that? 
Well, I think what most people end up doing is if they're if they're at the stage where they want to contest the will, they feel something is wrong, then they would seek the best thing to do as a beneficiary is you're going to seek legal advice a lawyer, from a yeah. lawyer who yeah. specializes in tax and a state practitioner, a TEP, and um, and at that point they are going to give you an idea of a what is the likely outcome if you pursue this, right. what might be the costs to pursue this. And uh, and then they'll certainly mm. proceed if you want to mm-hmm. carry it on, but yeah. at the, they might uh, also try and talk you out of it in the context that it's going to cost too much and it's going right. to, you know, and it. the end result is who do you, you know, you end up hurt, maybe hurting more yeah. and, than you gain yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. So contesting the will is obviously something that creates a whole nother level of emotion, et cetera. Um, perhaps the will includes trust, the creation of trusts that have to be set up and, and monitored and uh, and you may even be end up being a trustee for part mm. of that while children are underage or as minors. And uh, so that, again, so that's the complex or not so simple will. So another thing you have to do is creating a comprehensive list uh, of things. And I'm thinking about just the lists of tasks, sorry, a comprehensive list of things that executor has to do. And there's up to about 40 different tasks that you should consider. You may need to, depending on the complexity. You have to arrange for the funeral and pay for it from the estate assets. You need to inform pension office, so Service Canada, CPP. And uh, you do get payments from Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security for the month of death. Uh, you have to contact those life insurance companies. You have to arrange for the deceased mail to be changed. You have to uh, get rid of all the charge cards. You have to deal with any memberships that they've had and wow. canceling those. You've got vehicles that have to be changing of ownership, etc. Uh, and then dependents. Um, they may need they may need money to take care of their ongoing daily needs. Uh, so money has to be arranged to get to them. You have to do a thorough review of the will. You have to gather all the beneficiary information. You need to create a detailed list of their assets, everything from life insurance, investment accounts, all their personal belongings, et cetera, and of course, liabilities as well. Or they so, were lucky to get picked to be an executive. Yeah. <laughs> look, look at all what the a, things they get to do. What a privilege. <laughs> and finally, you're, res- responsibility. Yeah. you're responsible for the will uh, getting probated and, uh, and for maintaining the estate accounts, reporting and paying all required taxes, distributing the remaining money and property according to the instructions of the will, and providing a final statement of all the accounts and to all the beneficiaries. I'll ask the ugly question, what do I get out of this? Yeah, so that's my (laughs) next question. The next question is, can I get paid? Uh, And the answer is yes. Mm. And so the amount is either going to be stated in the will, and if it's not stated in the will, the courts will establish what the payment is, and that'll be based on the size and the complexity of the will. And if there's more than one uh, if there's more than one personal representative or executor, the fee can be split mm. and it will be split. It doesn't have to be equal. So depending on who did more work or less mm. work. And if you're a beneficiary, usually they tend to forego the uh, payment to the executor. And, uh, but you can also be paid for all your personal expenses. So whether it's postage, phone charges, mileage charges, et cetera, in terms of doing all the, uh, the, right. the work along the way here. Can you be, can the personal representative be a beneficiary? And the answer is, Yes, yeah. you can absolutely be a beneficiary. Does that change whether they get paid or not? No. It doesn't. Well, it's still as I said, if you're a beneficiary, usually, usually you would you forego. Right, yeah. right. Um, but it is taxable. And it is yeah. taxable too. Okay, yeah. the, so being an executor, it sounds it's not tax-free income, so you do have to add it to your tax return. Mm. So you got to take that into consideration right. too. Mm. Yeah, and then, uh, so as a beneficiary, you just have to make sure if there's, there's no conflict of interest. And a conflict of interest 
basically you have to make sure you're treating all the beneficiaries uh, equitably. In other words, you can't pay yourself first or you know a mm-hmm. family member first of your right. you know in terms of payouts. And um, what if you don't want to do it? So at the end of the day, if you don't want to do it, I think you need to, this is coming back to your original question, you need to be candid as to why, and the sooner you do it, the better. Um, so maybe it is simply, you know, I don't have enough time. I'm still full, you know, I'm fully yeah. engaged in my career right now. I would be uncomfortable in terms of committing the time to it. Maybe I live too far away. Maybe I'm not, don't have enough knowledge in this area. Maybe I'm just not comfortable assuming the role based on our close relationship, et cetera. Mm. So you can opt out of it after the fact. And uh, I'll be careful though, is that if the, if the estate does have any litigation associated with it, it'll be very hard for you to rescind your, your, your role as the representative. Right. So uh, that's an important thing to know when you're getting into it. Is there any outstanding legal uh, action going on? So, and finally, you know, I think, I think if, if you're thinking about, should you uh, seek professional help? I think absolutely, if you're feeling any gaps on this. And finally, how can you find out more? We've got a, 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 a personal representative checklist that we'd be happy to send anybody. Just let us know. It basically lists all the 40 items you need to think about and uh, consider before you accept the role. Hmm. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They'll return your call and take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows or ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about tax tips, all retirees should know. Yes. There's a bunch of them. I know everybody's thinking, why are we talking about tax tips? We yeah, just finished come on, that. I just got over this. Well, just in case one of these happens to ring a bell in your head and think, did I claim that, you can always go back mm. and fill a T1 general, mm-hmm. have an, a T1 adjustment rather, have that have that redone. And if it benefits you, um, you can get a whatever back because of it. So it's mm-hmm. definitely worth making sure you went over this or you're, if you're in the hands of an accountant, I'm sure they have, but some of these ones you have to do yourself and it has nothing to do with the tax preparer. Mm-hmm. So number one is, and again, I see why it's number one, is split pension with your spouse or common law spouse. Mm. Absolutely one of the best things the government ever put together. I was surprised that it went through. They promised it. I'm thinking, well, you think back to days when they got rid of capital gains exemption. This one's way bigger. This is huge. And this, everybody, when there's a difference in incomes, it allows the higher income retiree to split pension income with the lower one. Mm. And if you have a defined benefit plan, you can do it at any age. Now, if you don't have a defined benefit plan, so a defined benefit plan, just out of curiosity for those that don't know, are those ones have a, a guaranteed income, say a teacher or a police officer or, you know, Stelco, for example, mm-hmm. they have a defined benefit plan. <clears throat> um, so, much, so many of them now are defined contribution plans, in which case it's just a bucket of money like an RSP. Right. And then you, you have to move it into something to provide an income. Well, those ones, you have to wait till 65 to start splitting your pension. Mm-hmm. Okay. But so where I found this... Uh, is even more important was I'm seeing a lot of second marriages mm. or second arrangements, if you will. And the, sometimes they don't have the same tax preparer. Mm. Oh, I always deal with this guy. And the other one, the male, so I always deal with this guy. 
I'm thinking, so I actually had this appointment not long ago. I'm thinking, okay, you need to get your tax done at the, by the same person. Yeah. Because there is a huge opportunity here to split your pensions. Yeah. And I actually worked it out and worked out to a fair bit of money. So and here's an example. If, let's say one spouse was earning 15000 a year, the other one was making 85000 a year, and they didn't split it. The total tax bill would be $19,000 combined. 19246 to be exact. Now let's say you can make some adjustments to that and you paid, you were able to get one spouse, the $15,000 income earner up to 43,000 and the $85,000 income earner down to 57,000. Mm. Still the same hundred grand, mm -hmm. just moving the, the income. Now their total tax bill is $16,601. That's a savings of $2,644. Mm -hmm. Like, and that happens every year. Yeah. Every year there's this discrepancy of, in terms of income. Massive deal. And the other part of is the old age security clawback. It kicks in around $75,000. And again, for those that are doing two separate tax preparers, you may have been able to get all your old age security. If one was to get over the 75, you can bring that, in this example, that $85,000 income down under the 75 and that person would get to the whole old age security. Mm. Huge benefit. Make sure you're doing it and make sure you, if uh, you do have pensions, you're doing your tax prepare, um, done, taxes done together. Number two, <laughs> going along the same um, split your pensions is share the Canada pension plan. Now, a lot of people think, well, you're just repeating yourself here, Don. You just said split your pension. Well, the splitting pensions can be done on the tax return. Mm -hmm. The sharing of CPP, you actually have to apply for that. You have to go to your the office um and okay what's the service office? canada service canada yeah. thank you service canada and uh, apply for that that sharing of cpp credits and so if one person didn't contribute as much uh, maybe raising kids or um self-employed years where they didn't make a lot of money and let's say one was earning getting a thousand dollars a month cpp and the other is 200 a month well that could be shared and you both get 600. Mm -hmm. and the same reasoning applies to the same reason tax as tax reasons. Yeah, yeah. Same reason you're splitting your pension and voiding yeah. OAS clawback, et cetera. Oh. And it's funny. I've had a situation where a client, we had, they were splitting their Canada pension plan and the one spouse basically was getting, you know, a hundred dollars a month and the other was getting a thousand. So 1100 divided by two, 550 each. Mm -hmm. But, uh, we actually then undid that because the one spouse received an inheritance. And after that money was invested in their name, the amount of dividend oh, yeah. and investment income that they earned went up yeah. to the point where they were going to be getting mm -hmm. an old age security clawback. So we needed we needed to undo Un that oh, split. Wow. So we were able mm -hmm. to reverse it back to the 100 to one, not 100, 1,000 to the other. Cool. Interesting. Yes. I've never heard of anybody unclawing, un right. unsharing yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, and then the next one is apply for your guaranteed in income supplement. This is like a, it's, it's for very low income seniors over 65. It's completely tax free. It's um, it's certainly asset and it's income based, but you have to you really should go online to find out more about it. The other part about it though is depending on how you have your investments, you may be able to jig your investments in order to qualify for guaranteed income supplement. I have a client that although she earns a reasonably good income and she has about three hundred thousand dollars, well she, we put the money into what we call T series, and so she is still getting this income, but it's not taxable. Hmm. And she now qualifies for the guaranteed income supplement. Right. Okay. At least for the 14 years, at which case she'll be around 80. Mm -hmm. So um, you may be able to range your investments so you do qualify for Great it. Great strategy. Yeah. Uh, claim 
the foreign pension income. Now, being a resident of Canada, we have to claim all income sources, okay? And sometimes uh, I think people might forget about maybe their British UK pensions. pension yeah. or the other, yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, the money in Panama. The Italian <laughs> pension, the Portuguese pension. Yeah, it's yeah. all these pensions that you may have lived in and you did qualify for. But the thing is, you also might have some tax withheld at source. Hmm. And we do have some tax treaties between all these countries. Right. And you may be able to get some of that get tax back. back. Yeah. So again, um, you may be um, conveniently f- forgetting about this pension. And, and the government knows about so much these days. It's such a small world. Yeah. Um, you, you have to declare everything, yeah. okay, by law. And you may also get that tax withheld back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, going along those assets, uh, th- that line is report the assets outside of Canada. There is a form called a T. 1135, and they're getting a little bit, uh, you know, diligent on following up on this, um, particularly with the U.S. Mm-hmm. And you could f- um, face up to a $2,500 penalty plus interest if they found you have property outside of Canada, say in Florida or, you know, and you forgot about it. California, and you, didn't, and you didn't put it on. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. The, it's the U.S. government really wants to know where all your assets are, too. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about that form, right, is what the U.S. government wants to see is what was the outstanding balance, the dollar amount of your foreign investments for each month end. And they will calculate yes. the tax, any additional tax owing on the outstanding amount at each end of, e- of each month. Mm. So Investors Group provides to our clients the form, the T1135, with a monthly breakdown of the exact dollar amount they had in right. foreign assets mm. for each month. Hmm. That's great. And also, uh, the next one would be claim medical expenses. You know, I find so many people forget them. They don't actually know what, what qualifies. For example, if you're part of a group plan and you're paying for your your medical insurance, that qualifies as a medical deduction. It may show up on your final pay statement. Mm-hmm. So, and you think, well, it just comes off my pay, but you're paying, say, you know, $1,000 a year for this medical plan. It's, the company's not paying the whole thing. That qualifies. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, travel insurance. <clears throat> you're going to Florida or wherever, and especially for seniors, that's not cheap, as you all know. And uh, it qualifies for, uh, again, a, a deduction, a credit. And think, so many things. Really? Like even hearing aid batteries. So snowbirds... Insurance to yes. go to the states, yep. they can claim that as well. Yeah, really. Because it's for medical purposes again. Right. Yeah. There's a big list right on the CRA website. <laughs> I I would welcome anybody to go jo- look at that list because you may be finding, oh wow, I didn't know that was you could claim that, mm-hmm. and oh. you got to get over that threshold um, of medical expenses so you can start claiming it anyway. And a lot of people just think, well, I'll never get there. Well, it's three percent of your income. So if your income was 40000 a year, that's $1,200. So once your medical expenses get over the $1,200, that's when it starts right. kicking in. Right. Okay. Um, claim the age amount. Now, this is all this is done right on the computer. For anybody, and almost everybody's using some type of software program now. But it's interesting. It's not necessarily claiming it. It's watching it. Because the credit starts early, and, you, and it's worth about $1,355. But once your income's over 84000 it goes to zero. And again, trying to massage your income so you get this is important. Um, Everybody is focusing on the old age clawback, but they forget about the credits. Mm -hmm. And there's more than one reason to do this. Uh, Number eight, uh, transfer the remaining of your credit to your partner or spouse. And again, going back to do your tax returns together. If you're senior, absolutely there's no reason. It could be a second relationship, whatever the reason. Don't be loyal to the one tax repair. Put them together. Mm -hmm. It'll It'll save you money. Um, the disability tax credit is one I find 
probably the most over overlooked. And I think it's because people are probably too proud. Mm. They think any thinks the I don't think I'm disabled <laughs> enough. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I won't qualify. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah, I, I think. And there's also some kind of um, not embarrassment, but you know, they're they're they don't want to be labeled right. necessarily as disabled. Yeah. And so there's also a hesitancy to actually mm-hmm. go and, and do that because I don't want to be labeled. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. And <clears throat> it is worth $1,900 a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's per year. In fact, you can go back to the point where you qualified and they'll pay you back for all those years. Mm. So it could be quite the windfall. And again, this is when you have to say, okay, I honestly qualify for this go to your doctor they'll fill out a form yeah. with you i mean it's not you don't, you don't have to wear a blue handicap sticker on right. your shirt when you go out it's, it's okay nobody knows but if <laughs> you got you. if you got one just for uh, claiming the credit then you might get more people doing it <laughs> it comes with a parking yeah, sticker oh, no kidding. those are gold <laughs> <laughs> i'm in those are absolute gold um the canada's uh caregiver's credit is worth $1,400 in your pocket. And this is when you're supporting a spouse or a dependent, say a parent even, and they rely on you regularly and consistently. Mm. Those are the big words. To provide them with all the basic necessities of life, such as food, shelter, clothing. You are a support person mm. always there. Honestly, $1,400 is cheap. Yeah, <laughs> okay? yeah, really. And you may qualify. Again, it's just a matter of knowing. So here's a, another example that if you just send it into wherever you get your taxes done, they won't know about this. Yeah, You have to let them know. Mm-hmm. And again, the disability tax credit, you you have to apply for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not up to them to find these these for you. Um, now here's one we've talked about quite a bit is, is taking out the RSPs early and delay on the Canada Pension Plan. And this here is, uh, we, we're, what we're finding is a lot of people are accumulating a lot of RSP money. Mm-hmm. And it's, to me, it's like a big giant tax bomb. Yeah. Okay. Upon the second death, it is just going to explode in massive amount of tax. In fact, the worst case scenario to me is you will pay 53.53% tax on this RSP mm-hmm. or RIF. Yeah. And you likely never saved at that rate. Yeah. It's actually very unlikely because the tax rates have never been this high up until the last few years. Mm-hmm. So why would you want to save tax at 40%? and pay tax at 53.5%. Mm-hmm. So a good strategy is to take them out. You have total control of your income here. Keep it under that old age security clawback and delay your CPP till 70. You're going to get a 42% increase on your Canada pension plan. Yeah. And with that, it's an index guaranteed pension. It's almost like longevity insurance. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're, you're, you're getting rid of some riskier assets because you don't know what the interest rates are going to do with the stock market. Right. And you're going to get a guaranteed, basically a defined benefit plan, yeah. which everybody loves defined mm-hmm. benefit plans. Every, every month the so money comes the, in. leave the pension in there and go off your other stuff, your RSPs first. Yeah. yeah. Again, depending on the situation, um, I would find even more so for women mm-hmm. because of, of the longevity mm-hmm. is generally a little higher. But again, this is a, a great conversation to have with your financial planner. And again, whether it's the RSP or the RIF, um, making sure you start pulling out your RIFs in order to get the pension credit. Well, that ri- that pension credit's worth $1,413 per year per person. Mm-hmm. And I do find some people are waiting to have their RIFs pull out at age 72. They're missing seven years of this. Yeah, That's uh, each. Mm-hmm. So again, again, this is where a financial planner should be prompting you to get some of these things done. Um, liquidate losses in your non-registered accounts. Now it's too late to do last year's, 
But if you look at your non-registered accounts, there may be a couple dogs, if you will, um, and you could sell those, take the loss. And the nice thing is you, you may not even have capital gains, but they get carried forward forever. And if you have mutual funds, they always pay out these capital gain dividends. And they're kind of sneaky. Every December, they pay out these dividends based on what the fund manager is buying and selling, and they have to distribute their profits. Well, all of a sudden, they said, hey, look at I got all this tax to pay. Well, it's nice to have this in your back pocket, a capital loss that can offset those right. capital gain dividends. Prescribed annuity. This is a great option for longevity risk and is also mm -hmm. tax effective. Yeah, I know we were talking about this before and, and really for your non-registered money. And so I've seen cases again where somebody might inherit a, a lump sum of money or they have a lot of uh, mm -hmm. assets built up and non-registered. And really what you're doing is you're converting that to a lifetime income stream, like creating your own pension. Mm -hmm. And the, what, why it's called a prescribed annuity is that when you invest, say you take $100,000, we buy an annuity, you're gonna get a monthly payment from that every month for the rest of your life. Yeah. And part of that payment is your original principal, so it's tax-free, and part of that payment is the interest that you're earning on that capital. Mm -hmm. And so what a prescribed annuity does is it says, okay, based on your age, let's say you're 70 when you start, you might have um, you know, 17 years of expected lifespan. They will divide the interest evenly over 17 years, so you have the exact same amount of tax every mm -hmm. single year. Mm -hmm. So it's a very tax-efficient way to receive your income, and sometimes people will elect to not prescribe the annuity, and what that that means is that you typically get more, you pay more tax on the payment every month at the beginning and that tax reduces as time goes on which in a neat kind of way gives you a little bit of inflation hedge because right. you actually have more money left over as time goes on, goes on yeah. yep. yes and then uh, a couple of last ones here watch for your watch those part-time jobs you know these retirees are are picking up these jobs whether they, whether they be at a golf course or or maybe doing a little handy work and quite often they're, they're bumping themselves over the 75,000, they're yeah. getting clawed back in their old age security. And again, it's nice to wake up with a mission to do something, adding value of some mm -hmm. sort. And one thought is a, a friend of mine, he's helping with a, a kitchen. So he, he had an estimate for a kitchen, he's really handy. Mm -hmm. And he, the <clears> estimate, he goes, oh my God, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like this is, <laughs> this is insane. I could build this kitchen. Yeah. And I said, well, why don't you? And I said, let's say it was, and I'll just use a number, $100,000 kitchen if he built it, mm -hmm. it was going to be a lot more if somebody else did it. Well, he would have to make $150,000 pre-tax mm. in order to pay somebody 100000 to build this kitchen. Yeah. Plus, he would yeah. have to pay a lot more than 100000 yeah. yeah. So it works out that it's uh, uh, almost a barter system, if you will. If you can help do things one way and, and, and have a friend or something help you with something else, the barter system between friends, yeah. I'm sure there may not be any tax on that. Bring the price down. <laughs> yes. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc., 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905 529-7165. And don't forget the website, andyanddon.com. You can also ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. And of course, listen to old shows. We're talking about tax tips for retirees. And the most important one, this is a little self-serving, I got to uh, say, <laughs> but it how did is. You, how did you forget this one? I, well, I don't know how we didn't fit it in. I should have said it 15 times. Uh, work with a financial planner. Yeah. 
You know, retirement, a lot of people think, well, I don't need a financial planner now because I've already made it to retirement. Mm. Are you kidding me? You probably need it more than ever. Because of tax. Tax planning, estate yeah. planning, and it's really effective decumulation. Yeah. It's a decumulation. That okay. is the buzzword. It is decumulation. Like we, we've worked. Does that mean spending? You got it. It means fun. <laughs> that it. means fun, Scott. <laughs> it means not running out of money while you're still alive mm. in a tax effective manner. And you need a tax efficient strategy. And that's what a really good financial planner does. And it's so interesting. I got to go back to, you know, I got to give John Sh- Jonathan Chevrio some kudos here. He has been somewhat, I'd say, critical of the financial planning business, say, mm. 10 years ago. And I think he's looking at, you know, all the options, ETFs and so forth. And in the Globe this past weekend, you know, he actually went through and says, well, you know, those 2% MERs might be worth it mm. if... You have a financial and those are planner. fees, right? Those are the fees. Sorry, right, thank right, you. Yep. Those are the fees, uh, management expense ratios. Right. They're, they, they're probably worth it if you have a financial planner that does this. And number one was probe to find out how risk tolerant you really are. Mm. Okay, when Andy and I are in front of yeah. somebody, I uh, you know what? Depending on what the market conditions are, they could change the way they answer a question. Yeah. But yeah. we have a gut feeling after doing this for 33 years that, and plus we know them by now, okay, you really aren't this risky. Yeah. Just the fact <laughs> the market went up last year means you're riskier? No, yeah, no. Yeah. I remember no wait when you were just, we were holding on by your yeah. fingernails, yeah. okay? So trying to find the proper risk tolerant portfolio for you is important. <clears throat> um, number two, building a sensibly diversified portfolio. And what I mean by this, it's, it's not just simply looking at performance. And I've seen some where somebody will look at a performance of funds and they'll build a portfolio and the reason that performs so well, in the, and they look at the history, by the way. Oh, look how well it's done in the last yeah. five years. Well, that might be because everything's in resources or everything's in banking. It's very sector-oriented. And the reason it did so well is that particular sector did well. Yeah. So those funds, they end up buying five different funds all holding the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Even if one's a global fund, it might be in all resources as an example. So yes, building a sensibly diversified portfolio, if they all go up, or all go down at the same time, that is not diversified. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you, everybody loves when they all go up, but if four, if three go up and one goes sideways, one goes down, that's probably not a bad thing. Yeah. Okay, um, a, a good a financial planner meets with you once a year, but or is at least available to. Yeah. You know, it's nice to have that, you know, line mm-hmm. saying, what should I do in this case? Yeah. Um, that second opinion. Because quite often, to me, that's one of the most valuable things. Yeah. Thanks. Whether whatever you're doing financially as a family, whether it's uh, refinancing your house, whether it's buying something, um, to, or insurance, all that sort of stuff. That's to have the same guy to go to for that is that knows how everything else is working is is a great advantage. Well, thanks, and it's uh, it, it truly is because we understand the family dynamics. We know where you're coming from. We know your incomes. We know your risk tolerance. And it's quite often I find clients are too close to the situation. They want to make an emotional decision, mm-hmm. and we're far enough back that we can say, "Well, I think this is what we should be looking at." Mm-hmm. And uh, number four is again reassurance when the stock markets are down. Boy, is it tough to find reassurance when you're an online trader. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you have nobody to talk to, and this is where behavior investing. When the markets are down, people are bailing like crazy because they have nobody to talk to. Mm-hmm. And this is where a good financial planner can hold your hand, so to speak, and keep you to the program and keep you to the plan. And number five, talking about plan, it, they provide you with a written plan. That doesn't just involve, here's some investments. It involves a tax planning, estate planning, insurance planning, um, retirement planning, and, and of course, investment planning, but most importantly, cash flow management. And that's so key to know what you're spending and where's it going. So... 
those are the reasons why a retiree should have a financial planner. And I guess uh, interest rates have changed a little bit recently too, Yeah, Eddie. you know, this was, uh, I was away for a bit, but when I came back realizing that there was a big jump in rates at the, uh, mortgage rates, I should say. Yeah, And rates. TD was mm-hmm. out of the out of the uh, gate uh, at the end of last week where they uh, raised five-year fixed rate mortgages by a walloping 0.45%, almost mm. half a percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think what, and it's funny because the phone started to ring a little bit for people whose mortgages are coming up for renewal mm. and thinking, you know, what should I be doing? And, I, and a lot of people are getting a little more nervous and a little more anxious about, you know, should I be changing? Should I break my mortgage? Should I mm. lock in or should I stay variable? And, um, you know, and often the rate sensitivity, and I remember, um, you know, just in the last couple of months, we were, as Investors Group, we we offer a lot of different choices for mortgage products for our clients, and either variable, fixed, um, through a line of credit or a combined product, which is really gives people a lot of flexibility, a lot of options. And, but most importantly, we try and integrate that into your financial plan because really the goal is to get out of debt, yeah. right? And and what is the strategy to get out of a debt? Who's monitoring that strategy and how successful are you about getting out of debt? And so, you know, the, we, we lost a mortgage to somebody too, went to a broker and the rate that we had quoted them was 3.45% and ended up getting 3.35%. So 0.1% difference, which worked out to just under five bucks a week in terms mm-hmm. of the actual difference. And I said to them, you know, it'll be interesting to see, but my question to you is how many times in the next five years will you get a phone call from your mortgage broker or your bank to talk about how you're going to reduce that mortgage quicker? Mm. They're fine to get you set up, lock you into a payment, Mm -hmm. and you won't hear from them for five more years until it's time to renew again. And so I ran some numbers just to look at what our plan was going to do versus what they'll probably end up doing. I mean, I'm going to force them to pay it down anyway, but uh, you you have to sometimes look, rate is not the only issue when it comes to mortgages. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc., 905-529-7165. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And take a peek at the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about mortgage rates and interest rates. Mortgage rates, interest rates, and housing, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so I just wanted to quickly finish off my scenario. And I just looked at, crunched some numbers on a $400,000 mortgage for somebody on a 25-year amortization. And if, if they were paying a fixed rate uh, weekly payment, uh, it would be uh, my, the, po- the rate we had negotiated was 3.45%. So they'd be paying $496 a week. And the new rate where they got through the broker at 0.1% less was 491 a week. And so, uh, but in my strategy here, what I said to them, listen, the most important thing at the end of the day is going to be what extra payment you can make, mm. not how much interest mm. you're going to, because the difference in interest rates are always going to be minor, yeah. you know, by the time you get Good to that point. negotiation level. And uh, so I think, you know, Scott, could you come up with 25 bucks a week? 
Yep. If I said to you, can you scrape together 25 bucks a week? Another 25? <laughs> In addition. <laughs> $25 a week to death. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you were to do that for the same term uh, on that mortgage, you'd end up saving about $9,000 in interest over the five-year term. So really, at the end of the day, what was the most important part was not the specific rate you got, but the strategy that you had in place to get this thing paid off. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, nine thousand dollars versus what two hundred dollars a year difference in interest. Uh, for, uh, yeah, about about twelve hundred bucks of, yeah. uh, extra. Yeah, way better off. Yeah. no matter how you cut that one. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, with the increase in interest rates, people are thinking now. Well, what about that housing boom? It's been pretty crazy. And yeah. there's some people actually. And we were talking off air how we're finding some people are actually selling and renting. Yeah. And I've come across that three times in the last month now. And, you know, you look at the prices of 11 major Canadian cities have shot up by an average of 69%, according to this National Bank um, National Composite House Price Index. That works out to 5.4% per year average for simply living in your house. Yeah. Now, the stock market has averaged only 43 And the nice thing about owning your house, it's tax-free. Yeah. And that, by the way, is not normal. Normally, a house doesn't, outperform the Canadian stock market, especially on an after-tax basis, tax-free. Yeah. Now, you got to live somewhere, and it's quite good. But, you know, these experts have looked through um, 23 different countries since 1900, and they found home buyers typically, and here's a return, lost minus 2% on their investment every year once returns were adjusted for all factors, including hefty costs of maintaining your residence. Mm-hmm. So on average, it's a minus 2% return after you know, keeping right. it updated. Yeah. And these professors that arrived to these conclusions are some of the most respected financial researchers in the world. Now, if you don't believe them, that's fine. You gotta live somewhere anyway. Mm-hmm. But optimists will argue that housing gains are in the cards because they're still low on low unemployment, housing immigration, um, is high immigration rather. And there's a, the, the interest rates are still relatively low. Yeah. Pessimists will say, well, the force of financial gravity are gathering, okay, and interest rates appear to be headed up. Household debt is already at record levels, which we've talked about many times on the show. Um, Canadian home prices are amongst the most inflated in the world when compared to underlying rents or incomes, according to the International Monetary Fund. So rather than trying to predict, you may want to just say, okay, how things done in the past? So I looked at uh, some data, and if you looked at, um, you know, there's a lot of things recently that could affect the real estate market. For example, the Bank of Canada increasing interest rates Mm -hmm. about three or four times now. There's the lending rules have come into place for first-time home buyers that they have to be using a- Stress test, yeah. A stress test, okay. Mm -hmm. And properties over a million dollars no longer qualify for the government-insured mortgages. And young people, immigrants and foreign investors are still fueling the demand and older pe- there's that longevity. People are staying in their houses longer, yeah. which also is helping the real estate prices go up. So there's things going against it, things going up. But it's interesting. They looked at a 64-year trend line since 1953. And it's, uh, it's kind of neat. They, they took into account inflation. And it's funny. Anytime that the housing prices bumped, across, bumped over this trend line, so one of those was 1974. Um, the average house at that time, based in 2017 dollars, it was about a $250,000 house. Okay, of course they didn't cost that much back Mm -hmm. then, but if you had to look at it today's dollars. And it took until 
about 1985, about 11 years, just to get your money back after inflation. Mm -hmm. Well, then, boom, they went up like crazy. I don't know if anyone remembers 1989, and that's about when I kind of got in the market. Mm -hmm. I bought an 87, sold around 1990, thankfully, to buy the next house, and my house doubled. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is easy. This is great. And we've kind of felt the same way recently. And then... Of course, I bought my next house in 1990 just to watch it go down. Yeah. And it went down five of the next six years, um, the, the real estate market. And they don't go down by much. The worst year is about minus 8%. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like death by a thousand paper cuts. Okay. Mm. Just a little bit down, a little bit down, a little bit down. And five of the next six years from 1990, 91, 92, 93, 94, and, 90, and the WIS 94, sorry, 95, 96. Well, then... In 1989, it took 12 years for people just to recover. If you bought at the peak, it took mm-hmm. you 12 years yeah. to get your money back. Mm-hmm. But if you looked at inflation, it took 20 years. Well, we are way above that trend line again. Now, if, you, if I had the, you know, the magic of TV, you could probably yeah. see yeah. the screen here. But take my word for it, we are substantially above this trend line. And so now you think, okay, for those that own rental properties or second properties, um, and they're looking at it as an investment rather than somewhere to live, it might be a good idea to reconsider and maybe take back some of that profit. If you owned a stock, yeah. you would be doing the same thing. Start mm-hmm. selling off and take back some profit and rebalance your portfolio. People get married to real estate and they don't think it the same way. And I think it's a great time to think that way. Yeah, more emotional. Mm-hmm. We have been planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Go Raptors.